Again, good morning. Uh, so this morning, uh, we are ending our sermon series in the book of Acts. Uh, if you haven't been here for very long, um, we have been in this series since the fall. And so it's been seven months almost since we began this journey through Acts. And that's what it's felt like to me, is a journey through the book of Acts. And it's not just been on Sundays. We've been talking uh, about this in life groups and kind of pressing in and asking you know, questions about how this might shape who we are and shape how we live. We've been uh, hopefully reading this on our own, reading and exploring the book of Acts and praying through it. And, and really, my hope and prayer is that you have had the chance to immerse yourself in this book because it's an amazing book. Personally, as we've been going through this, it's been uh, just an incredible encouragement to me. Reading through this book, again, has been such a life-giving process um, for a lot of reasons, but I think one of the things that's just been encouraging to me is just how it's just kind of fanned the flame of my excitement about Jesus and his mission. It's just got me excited about what God is up to, certainly in the book of Acts, but also beyond. And so I hope it's been encouraging for you. I hope as we've gone through this series and gone through the book of Acts, it's been exciting uh, for you. And I just would encourage you, if you're not in the habit of, of reading the Bible on your own, um, and especially if today maybe you're feeling like, I just need some encouragement, I would encourage you to open up the book, book of Acts and just read it. Just sit down and read God's Word. It can be so powerful and so encouraging if we just let it. Sometimes I think we just forget there is just power in letting God's Word speak to us. So if you're in need of encouragement, open up the book of Acts, because when you read the book of Acts, it's, it's amazing. What you witness is this incredible move of God. You get to see what God has done in light of the cross, in light of the resurrection, in light of Jesus' kingdom. And from the beginning, our prayer has been, uh, Lord, what you did in Acts, would you do it again? Uh, that's what we've been praying here, is that what you did in the book of Acts, would you do it again? Not necessarily in the same way, uh, but by the same Spirit that your Holy Spirit would be at work in the life of our community, that we would experience this same life, this way of life that we see in the book of Acts here in Houston. Our prayer has been that God would move and continue to move among us. Uh, and that's really what the book of Acts is about. It's, a, it's about witnessing this incredible move of God. It started at Pentecost with a small group of followers of Jesus. They were all gathered, kind of like we are today, praying and worshiping the Lord and waiting. And then the Lord sent his promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit fell on this small group of people and filled them for the mission that God had called them to, a mission to go to the world, to bear witness, to proclaim the good news of the coming kingdom of God. And that's what they did, and that's what we've been exploring, this story of what happened Next, from then on, Acts 1 all the way to our reading today, Acts 28. It's amazing what's taken place because in the course of about 30 years, about one generation, what we see is that the good news of Jesus has expanded out across the known world. At the end of Acts, uh, we now find ourselves with Paul. Uh, the words that Mike just read from Acts 28 at the end of the chapter Paul, this follower of Jesus, this leader of the early church, he's awaiting trial before Nero, before the Caesar. And as he's waiting, he's, um, uh, he's, he's 
kind of taken advantage of this time, and he's, he's, he's meeting with different people. But what's amazing to me is to think about how this connects with Acts 1. Think about how Acts 28, all the way from Acts 1. Think about where the Gospels come from. The small group of people gathered in a room together in Jerusalem and on the streets of the city, all the way to Caesar's palace. That's what's happened in just one generation. In the course of just 30 or so years, the gospel has gone forth and expanded into the known world. And so as we read Acts, as we read this story, I think it's important to to keep that big picture in mind. Because if we're reading it right, it should be this incredible story. It should be a page turner. As we're going through Acts, like what's going to happen next? What is God doing? What is he up to now? How is he fulfilling his promise and his mission? And so as we turn the page, we come to this last chapter in Acts, Acts 28. And so if you want to open up there, I want to encourage you to look there. And I just want to focus on the last two verses of the book, Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. And I've got it here on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Let me just read it. It says, Paul lived there in Rome for two whole years and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So again, here's Paul. He's in Rome. He's a prisoner under house arrest. So he's not free to go wherever he wants. He, he has to stay in this little apartment that he has here in Rome. And beyond that, he's actually chained to a guard. He's under 24-hour guard. He's chained to some kind of Roman guard. And what is he doing as he's waiting there to be before Caesar, as he's waiting to go on trial? What is he doing? What's it say he's doing? He's teaching, yeah. Where is he teaching? He's teaching in the apartment where he's staying. And who's coming to him? People that want to hear about Jesus, right? So just, just take that in for a minute, right? So Paul is awaiting trial where ultimately we know that he was executed. We're not told that here, but we know that. So this is the situation he's in. And yet, like we talked about last week, Paul is not letting anything stop him from sharing Jesus. The Romans have brought him to Rome because why? He won't stop telling people about Jesus. And what's he doing while he's in Rome? He's telling them about Jesus. He just cannot help himself. It's amazing to see this man's heart, his heart for Christ and his heart for people. He, he's just been so touched by the love of God in his life. He cannot but help tell other people about Jesus. And so he's even got people coming in. He's chained to a guard. He's under house arrest. He's going to face the Caesar, and yet he's still inviting people to come and hear about Jesus. And so in some ways, it makes total sense. It's a fitting end, this picture of a follower of Jesus doing the very thing that we read about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When Jesus said, you'll receive power, the power of the Holy Spirit, so that you can be my witnesses. And here is Paul. He's gone from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria all the way to the very ends of the earth, to the ends of the the empire. The, The place he is now represents the farthest reaches of the known world at that time, Rome. That's where he is, and he's telling people about Jesus. So it's a fitting end in some ways, but it's also a little bit strange as an end, as an end of this story, this narrative. It's a strange way to end. For example, it doesn't tell us anything about what happens to Paul. We know from other sources that Paul was eventually uh, executed, but 
The book of Acts doesn't end with Paul. It doesn't tell us anything about what happened to him. It doesn't tell us about Peter or any of the other apostles. It doesn't even tell us what happened with the church. Do you find that interesting? I find that really fascinating. That's, that's how the book of Acts ends. It just, it just ends. And it doesn't follow up on any of these major storylines, any of these major characters. And that's how the book stops. But I think it's fitting, again, because ultimately this is not a story about Paul. This is not a story about Peter. It's not even ultimately a story just about the church. It's, it's about something much bigger. Those are essential pieces of the story, but the story is about something much, much bigger. It's about the mission of God to make known Jesus in the world. And so that's how the story ends. It ends with that, this idea that the gospel is going forth, that the gospel continues to go forth. In other words, you might think of the end of Acts as not a period, but a dot, 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 right? A dot, dot, dot. The, the story goes forth because the mission goes forth because the gospel continues to go on. That's how the book of Acts ends. This move of God that began at Pentecost continues. The spirit is still moving because this was and is and always will be the mission of the church. And so as we come to the end of Acts I want us to think about the implications of this dot, dot, dot. The fact that the story kind of goes on from here. Because it's an invitation for us to enter into this bigger story. It's an invitation for us to enter into this bigger story of what God himself is doing. An invitation to be a part of this move of God that we're witnessing in the book of Acts. And so over the past year, as we've been reading Acts and praying over this... Um, I've been asking the Lord to just kind of bring to the foreground the things that that I think he wants us to take from this past seven months as we've kind of looked over the entire book of Acts and studied and prayed through this. And so I just want to share with you a a couple of things that I feel like the Lord has really brought to the foreground for me. And I want to do it in particular in the context of, 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 of this idea of what is it that God might be able to do in 30 years, in a generation. That's what he did in the book of Acts. What could God do in a generation in apostles? What could God do in in a generation in 30 years of your life? I figure I've got about 30 years uh, in kind of full-time ministry left. I'm 44. I know you're shocked. I'm 44. I look way younger, but I'm 44. And uh, I figure, you know, all things you know, if they go well, if I maybe cut back on the torchies tacos a little bit and a little less brisket, a little more kale, which is gross. Um, if I, if I kind of embrace maybe a, a lifestyle that would give me 30 more years, I've got 30 years to give to the Lord. I've got a generation, you might say, a, a life, half a life to give to the Lord. And I, I just want you to think about that. What, what, what do you have? Maybe today you're sitting here, you got, you're sitting pretty. You got 40, 50 years you know, ahead of you. But what is it, what's the Lord going to do with that? Maybe you're, you've got maybe 10 years, 15 years. What, what does it look like over the next 10 years, 20, 30 years at Apostles? If God moves, what could happen? And so I, I've been asking this question myself, and as we prayed and studied through Acts, the Lord has put a couple of things on my heart for our church. And so I just want to share... Um, a few of them that I'm praying for myself and I'm praying for our church. And here's the first one. First thing I'm praying for is that the Lord would continue to give us and give us more of a burning desire 
to see a generation in Houston come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. A burning desire. Not, I hope that happens. Wouldn't it be great if that took place? No, a burning desire to see others come to faith in the Lord Jesus. That like Paul, we'd be so captivated, so captivated by the love of Jesus, so in love with Christ, so changed that we could not but help ourselves to tell other people about Jesus. That it would just burn within us, that we would invite people, like Paul does here in Acts 28, just inviting people into our lives to share with them the greatest gift that we have ever received, Jesus Christ. That kind of heart, that kind of burning desire um, to see others come to know Jesus, it's not something you can just kind of work up. It's not just something you kind of manufacture. I think it's a gift, and so that's why I've been praying for it, is that the Lord would give us this gift. You know, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given as a gift, and what came out of that was this burning desire from a small, obscure, little, insignificant group of people, right, who were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it propelled them into this movement that went out and changed the world. They were full of the Holy Spirit, their hearts were transformed, and their greatest desire in life became to bear witness to this Jesus. You know, Apostle started a few years ago with about 30 folks, right? Little tiny group. Today we're about 150 adults and maybe about 100 kids. Praise God, but we're still tiny. We're a small little group of people. What difference could we make in the city of Houston, let alone the world. What difference could we possibly make if we allow our hearts, I would say if we allow our hearts to be captivated by Jesus, we can make an eternal difference. If we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, if we receive this gift, we let our hearts burn for those, long for the people in our life to know Jesus, then God can do something amazing. In just a generation, this city could be transformed. God could transform a city in a generation. God can do that. And we could be a part of that. And so that's what I'm praying for, is that the Lord would give us a burning desire for those in our life that we long for them to know Jesus. The second thing I'm praying for is that we would be a church uh, of proclamation and demonstration. We've talked about this a couple of times through the series. Um, over and over and over in, in the Gospels and in Acts, what you see is a connection between the proclamation of the gospel and the demonstration of the gospel's power. Proclamation and demonstration. Um, that the kingdom of God, that is, is breaking in not just with words, right? Not just ideas, but with power. It takes both. And you see that over and over in the gospel. The, the supernatural um, uh, coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, right? It's accompanied by these supernatural signs. But then what happens? The proclamation of the gospel and thousands come to faith in Jesus. You see the healing of people. All these healings that Jesus does. And then they continue in the book of Acts. And what happens? People are healed. And then after there's the bold proclamation of the good news. Let me tell you about this Jesus who's done this incredible thing in my life or in this person's life. And so you've got proclamation and demonstration over and over and over again. You've got examples of this happening. And, and that should mark the church. This dynamic of proclamation and demonstration. And the problem, I think, is too often it doesn't mark the church. You don't get both. 
Sometimes you get one, sometimes you get sometimes you get none. But you should have both in the church. Some churches um, are uh, are distorted. I don't know, you guys, uh, you guys, when I say uh, the caricature drawings, you know what I'm talking about? Like if you go to the zoo and you're walking in, there's artists on the side and they want to draw your picture. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so they, they, they get out the pen and they start drawing you and, and then they draw it and they hold it up to you. Does it look like you? Kind of. It kind of looks like you, but it's like, what is it? It's, it's a caricature. It's distorted, right? It's, yeah, maybe not too flattering. You're like, no, you can keep that. <laughs> but it, it's distorted. It's this distorted picture of what you actually look like. And, and I thought of that because I think sometimes, you know, like with those drawings, what can happen is you'll, you'll have like a tiny little body and a giant head, right? Or you'll have like these like little tiny arms and like ginormous biceps. That's usually how they, you know, they're exaggerating that feature for me. It's so obvious. But you get this distorted little picture of yourself. And sometimes I think the church can be like that. The church can get distorted like that can become a caricature of what it's intended to be. Some churches are all about scripture and teaching, but they have little concern for the lost. And so they have maybe a giant head and a little tiny heart, if you were to draw them out. Or some churches are all about worship, but they're theologically underdeveloped. Some churches are all about justice or unity or emotional health or liturgy or on and on and on. Their thing that they're all about. But we're called to be the body of Christ. We're called, as we say, we're called to become like Jesus That's what we say. It's one of our aims here at Apostles, that we would become like Jesus. Not a distorted caricature of Jesus, but that we'd be a picture of Jesus, a beautiful picture of Jesus to the world. And I think we want to be a church like that. Don't we want to be a church like that, a beautiful picture of the body of Christ? Not a caricature, not distorted, but a beautiful picture of the body of Christ to the world. And so what I want to say is let's not make one thing more important than another. Let's be a community that's so captivated by Jesus, for example, that we cherish the word of God and, and long for the Holy Spirit to fill us, long to experience the fullness of life in God and all its power and all its beauty, that we would be a kind of people who are passionate about worship and passionate about liturgy and passionate about theology and thinking carefully about the deep things of God, that we do both, not either or. There will be a church that's committed to the spiritual health of ourselves as much as we are to the spiritual health and well-being of our neighborhood, that we do both, and on and on. I, I think it's so important. I think in these areas of proclamation and demonstration can help us, making sure that we are a healthy and beautiful picture of Christ to the world, that we're the witnesses we're called to be. So that's the second thing. My, my third prayer is this, is that we be a church marked by radical humility. A church marked by radical humility. You know, part of our vision is that God has called us to live in community as family. We like to talk about living together as family. And we take that seriously. This declaration of the Lord of who we are in Jesus Christ, that we've been adopted and now that we live together as children of our Heavenly Father, which means that, that we are brothers and sisters. We are a family. It's not just a nice idea. That is a reality that we want to live into, be the family of God. And so it's not just about me. It's not us and them. It's, it's we. We're in this together. We are a family and we want to live 
as a family. So we hold that up because we think and we know, actually, that the inertia of this fallen world is actually to divide. It's to separate us off. It's to individualize us. It's to make it just about our own little family, our blood family. But Jesus says, no, it's not just about your family. It's not just about your faith with the Lord. It's, it's being part of a community. It's being part of a family. And our propensity is to seek out people, too, that look just like us, right? So we're, we're kind of, we, we like to atomize, but then we also like to clump, don't we? We like to clump with people that dress like me and look like me and vote like me and all those kinds of things. And that's not the church. That's not the church. That's not a family. Diversity and unity around Christ, that's the church. That's what we're called to look like. And, and it's interesting. In Acts 20, the Apostle Paul, when he's confronting division within the church, this lack of family, this brokenness, this lack of unity, he's confronting it. And what he says is, I have served the Lord with great humility and with tears, he says. Great humility and tears. See, Paul understood that an attitude of humility, of service, of other-focusedness, that attitude undermines this propensity to divide and to clump. And so Paul says, I've served the Lord with humility and with tears. And I think we need to take that on as a prayer, that we be a people that, that are marked by humility and, and by tears, that we actually are so in solidarity with Jesus and with one another that our hearts break when there's a need within our community. When we see one another, when we see brokenness, it breaks our heart, right? That we would be so humble before the Lord, that we take on such an attitude of service, the heart of a servant, Philippians 2, that we would take on that spirit of Jesus as a community because we want to be a community where people are treated. Every single person is treated as vitally important, have you ever been a part of a, a community where every single person was vitally important? I mean, every single one. And I, and I mean, here in our church, two years old up to 90 years old. Money, no money. Live here, don't live here. Do this for a living, no job. Every person in this room would know they are vitally important to the life and the mission of the church. And that's the, that's the church that we want to be, where every gift is valued, where every person has a place, where every person gets to serve the Lord Jesus, a, a place where we are willing to take the least among us and care for them and love them, a people who serve the Lord with humility and with tears. And so those, those have been the things the Lord's laid on my heart as we've gone through this series in Acts, that we would be a people whose hearts burn for the lost, that we'd be a, a, a church of proclamation and demonstration, that we would be a church marked by radical humility. And I'm convinced that the Lord is moving. You know, Acts is describing a movement of God in the early church. And I'm convinced the Lord is moving in apostles. You know, I, I've told you all before, when Langley and I first came, it's, it's been almost two years, which is hard to get my mind around, but we've been here almost two years. And when, I, when we first came, you could just feel it. You could sense it, this move of God. And I know those of you who have, have made the commitment to be a part of the church, you've sensed it too. That's why you're here. Because God is moving. There's this movement, people coming to faith in Jesus. People are hearing about Jesus for the first time. This, this thing we got going with Alpha is just incredible. Life groups 
are just growing. More and more people are getting into deep and meaningful community with each other. We've got, you know, we're building out a youth ministry. We've got awesome children's ministry, and that's growing. Just amazing things. People are being healed. Lives are being changed. We're seeing God move in powerful and incredible ways. And I'm convinced it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Just like Acts. Acts was just the beginning of the story. Dot, dot, dot. It's going to keep going. We're a part of that story, that bigger story. And, and God wants to do more at Apostles. God is moving. And so here's my question that I want, us, I want to leave you with this morning. It's this. God is moving, right? God is moving, and the question is, do you want to be a part of it? Do we want to be a part of God's moving in this place and in this city? Do we want to be a part of a move of God that reaches our generation with the good news of Jesus Christ? If so, the only way that's going to happen, the only way that's going to happen is if we're all in with Jesus. We have to be all in with Jesus. It's that simple. It's really hard. It's simple, but it's also really difficult. The reason it's difficult is because there are so many things competing for our hearts. There's so many things in our lives that are competing and vying for our attention that are saying, make me the most important thing. And so we have to realize that we have to make Jesus the most important thing. When we do that, when our hearts are captivated by Jesus, like Paul, we won't be able to help ourselves but go all in on the mission of God, of God on the move of God in this place. We'll begin to realize there's a greater story than just what's going on in my little part of the world, in my own little heart. There's something much bigger. There's a bigger story, and we can be a part of it to make an eternal difference in the lives of people. Eternal, right? It's incredible. God's inviting us to be part of something that can make an eternal difference in our city, in our country, in our world. And the question is, are we going to be a part of it? The question is, are you all in on what God is doing here? Um, last week, we welcomed uh, a bunch of new folks which was really exciting. We, we had them come up and we prayed for them. And uh, while they were up here, I put up something on a slide um, that included the five commitments that folks who come through Apostles Basis can then pray and they say, yeah, I, I want to go all in here at Apostles. This is what they commit to. They commit to these five things. And, and I just want to say, if you're asking, well, what does it mean to go all in with Jesus at Apostles? This is what it means. This is what it looks like. To go all in at apostles, I would say, is these five things. So let me just say a quick thing about each one. First, follow Jesus personally, but also in community. Following Jesus. You want to be a person who's committed to being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. First step, follow Jesus. Just begin there. Second commitment, be in community. You cannot make it on your own. You cannot make it on your own in this life as a follower of Jesus. There's no such thing as a Christian on their own in the New Testament. We need each other. You need meaningful, deep relationships with other followers of Jesus. You need a spiritual family. And my question is, do you have that? Do you have that? Because if you don't, you need to get it. You need relationships with other followers of Jesus. You cannot make it on your own. And so that's why we hold up things like life groups. We say, look, this is a way that you can share life with each other, pray, be in the word together, care for each other, serve together. 
Life groups is a great way to be in community with each other, to be the family of God, to develop these deep and meaningful relationships. So I encourage you, you know, next time we're running basics or if you want to go online and find out more about life groups, that's the way you can commit. You can go all in on Jesus, be in community. Third, gather on Sundays. We gather as a church every week here. Uh, we gather around this table. You know, this table symbolizes, it, it's a picture of what happens here every Sunday. Right? We are coming into the very presence of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. He is with us. He's here. And we gather as the family of God and we have a meal. Right? That's what we do here. And we worship and we give thanks and we praise God. And it's this weekly rhythm that we have in our life where we need one another and we need to come in the presence of God. And so we make it a priority. So when we say gather on Sundays, we don't mean when it's convenient. We say, no, we're making this a priority to be here because God is here. And we want to be with God and we want to be with each other. So third, gather on Sundays. Fourth, serve. We serve by demonstrating self-sacrificial love to those within the church and those without. So we commit to being servants. You know, it takes dozens of people every week just to pull this off. Right? We're, we're small. And so that means all hands on deck. We need everybody helping. Everyone's serving. And that's exciting because that means your gifts, your particular abilities, who you are, your personality has something to contribute to what's happening here. I remember one of my pastors uh, when I was in college, I, I would be at church maybe once every four or five Sundays. Uh, and I remember he pulled me aside one day and he said, look, he's like, he's like, he's like I, I just want you to know like, that, that we miss you. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, I know I'm, I'm, I'm missing out on like the sermon. I'm missing out on this. I'm missing out on that. I listed all these things. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I need to be here more. And he was like, no, no, no. He's like, we're missing out on what God wants to do through you. And I never thought about it that way. And I think a lot of times we approach this as what can I get? And it's about what can we give? God wants to give you so much, but he also invites us to be people who give. God wants to do things through you this morning in another person's life, maybe just through a single word, through a hug, through a high five. I don't know what God's going to do, but he can use you, maybe through prayer. Whatever it is, God wants to use you. And so we need to be here so that we can give, we can serve to one another and give out of our lives. So like a family, we can be a family and live like a family. And so that means serving one another. And then fifth, give. We want to give in order to partner with Jesus to serve our city. We dream of becoming a church, I would say, marked by radical generosity. We are a generous church. We give, but we want to give more. So right now, we have about 15% of our budget goes out to other ministries or to the diocese for other ministry or directly to serve those who are poor or in need or kind of on the margins. We give about 15% of our budget. And what I want to say is my dream is that one day, one day we would give away 50%. 50% of our budget we would give away for God to do things with in our city and in our world. Now, if you know anything about budgets, that's kind of nuts <laughs> to give away 50% of your budget. But it's doable. It's possible with God. God could do that. Radical generosity, that we would be the kinds of people that when we do things, it sounds crazy to the world, but it looks like Jesus. 50%, that looks like Jesus to me. That sounds like Jesus to me. And so we want to be a people marked by radical generosity. That, that's what it, this is all in. This is what it looks like to be all in. It's simple, right? It's not complicated, but it isn't easy. It's a commitment. And so I want to invite us um, 
just we wrapped up this series on Acts, that, that we would hear this invitation to be a part of a move of God in this place. And that we'd hear this invitation to, to go all in with Jesus. Because I, I'm convinced that God is moving. And there's no better place, there's no better place to be with your life than right in the middle of what God is doing. Right in the middle of where God is moving. And so that's my prayer for us, is that we would be right in the middle of what the Lord is doing. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise. God, you are so good, and you have done so much in the life of this church, and we praise you and give you thanks for that. Lord, we thank you for this series on Acts. We thank you that you've... um, Lord, just rekindled our hearts, Lord, that you've drawn us closer to Jesus, that you've uh, opened our eyes to the, the ways that your Holy Spirit is at work in us and among us. And we long for more of that, Lord. We say more. Lord, give us more. And so, Lord, we want to be the kinds of people who are ready to commit, who are all in on Jesus. Lord, because we do want to see a generation of people in our city come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so give us that heart, Lord, and let our hearts burn for those in our lives that don't know you. And Lord, I pray too that we would be a people who are committed to the proclamation and the demonstration of the gospel and that we would be marked, marked by humility. And so Lord, I I pray for every single person sitting here, Lord, that as they leave here today, as they go out from this place, that you um, would just bring this question before their minds. That they would ask if they're all in on what you're doing, if they are wanting and ready to be a part of the move of God in this place. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.